Anyway, um, yeah, so Easter, of course, is not really about the Easter bunny. It's not about Easter candy as much as we love those things. But Easter really is about Jesus. And so last week, you know, I shared with you, I said, this is what we celebrate today, what we celebrate this weekend, the resurrection, is what makes us different than any other religion on the planet, right? This is, this is what distinguishes us from every other religion. It makes us different, and it, in fact, it makes us really different. And admittedly, what, what we believe as Christians probably sounds ridiculous to a lot of people in the world, right? Especially if you're hearing it for the first time, because what we believe is that a guy died, was dead for three days, and then rose again. Think, think if you're hearing that for the first time, like that is an absurd belief. Like, wait a minute, he, he is dead and he came back to life? Like a zombie? Is that what you're saying? No, not like a zombie. In fact, we believe that he wasn't just a guy. We believe that he was God, made one of us, made a human being, and then he died for us. Imagine hearing that. Anyway, so, so what you're saying is you think that God became a human being only to be murdered on a cross, right? Be dead for three days and then come back to life. You cannot be serious. That's what you believe. Actually, that's a pretty good summary. That's exactly what we believe. And we think it's very serious. Guys, there's, there's no way to get around it. What the Bible teaches, what Christians believe, what I believe about Jesus is not normal, right? It's not acceptable. It's not even inoffensive. To many people, it's offensive. And it sounds crazy. And if there weren't mounds of evidence showing that this is true, that this has actually happened, it would be crazy. But how do we get around the fact that Jesus did things that only God could do? Right? Like he healed people. He, he took people that couldn't see and he made them be able to see. He took people that couldn't hear and he made them be able to hear. Right? He took people that couldn't walk and he made them be able to walk. And he did miraculous things. And he took a little bit of bread and he turned it into enough to feed 5,000 people. A little bit of fish turns it into enough to feed 5,000 people. He, he, he raised one of his good friends from the dead, his buddy Lazarus, right? And then when he rose from the dead, when he came back to life, like literally he showed himself to hundreds of people. It wasn't just a few people that said, oh man, Jesus is alive, I saw him. Oh really? He showed himself literally to hundreds of people. 10 different times just documented in the New Testament. And then think about, think about his good friends, his best buddies, the disciples, his closest followers. Every single one of these guys, the ones that were left, one killed himself to realize what he did to Jesus. All of the rest of them were, were literally willing to die, to die for the belief that their friend came back to life and he was actually the savior of the world. And every one of them actually did die for that belief, except one guy who ended up dying of old age. It's amazing. Make no mistake, what, what we believe about Jesus, what we celebrate this weekend is unique. And it's what sets Christianity apart from every other religion on the planet. And so it's with that said, uh, I want to say this. Last week, we talked about uh, this last week of Jesus' life. It's called Holy Week. Some people have heard of Holy Week before. Some people haven't. We talked about this last week. Holy Week, we, I described it like a roller coaster. It's kind of like roller coaster week 
to Jesus' closest friends, if you were one of his closest followers, his closest friends, it was an incredible roller coaster ride this, this last week of Jesus' life. And so leading up to this last week, leading up to Holy Week, Jesus' influence and popularity is rising. It's not like you're going up the big hill on a roller coaster, right? It's rising and rising and rising until you get to Palm Sunday, what we celebrated last week. Palm Sunday is when Jesus comes into Jerusalem. So it's a feast time. It's a big Jewish festival. And so there's literally thousands of extra people in Jerusalem. So Jesus comes in riding on a donkey and literally people are praising God for him. Like the roller coaster is right at the peak. His level of popularity and influence is as high as it's ever been. People are taking off their jackets and throwing them on the ground for him to walk on, which we talked about last week is a symbol of their submission, like we bow down to you, right? They have these palm branches, they're waving palm branches at him, which is a symbol of victory, like you're going to be our king, you're going to liberate us, we're finally going to be free, you're the savior of Israel. All that happens on Palm Sunday, such anticipation, such hope, good times ahead, right? Well, then you move into the week and things go downhill, and they go downhill quickly because Jesus starts doing things that they didn't expect of him. He was not what they expected. Very quickly, they come to realize he's not going to liberate us from Rome. Rome was in control of Israel at that time, and they hated it, kind of oppressive control. They were wanting to be liberated. It became very clear very quickly, Jesus isn't going to liberate us from Rome. In fact, Jesus says, I'm actually going to be killed, and soon. And then he starts talking. He's like, the end of the world as you know it is coming. Things are going to change. This temple that you love, that is so important to you, not one stone is going to be left on another. It's going to be destroyed. And I am going to die. And then he has one last meal. He gathers up his disciples and he has one last meal, one last supper with them before he dies. And all of a sudden this roller coaster that just a few days earlier was so high by Thursday, when he has this last supper, it goes down, down, down until it hits rock bottom on Friday, Good Friday, a day that was anything but good for Jesus and his closest friends. On Good Friday, actually late Thursday night, right after the meal, Jesus is arrested, right? He has three trials in the middle of the night into early Friday morning where he's found guilty, 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 and sentenced to death. And then he's tortured and beaten within an inch of his life. And then literally nailed to a cross, nails through his wrists and his ankles, left to hang there until he can't breathe anymore, until he's dead. And he does. He dies. Like no, no heartbeat, no breath in his lungs. He's dead. And he's gone. And all of a sudden, this roller coaster that just a week earlier, five days earlier, was so high, so much joy, so much anticipation, it has hit rock bottom, and it seems like the ride is over. It's done. And then you get to Saturday, right? What we would get yesterday. You get to Saturday. Imagine the disciples' confusion. Like, imagine if you were one of his closest friends, how you would feel. Like, you'd staked your whole life on Jesus. Like, he's going to free us. He's going to be the savior of the world, the savior of Israel and the savior of the world. And all of a sudden, he's dead, sealed in a grave. I know they're feeling. And then 
Sunday comes. And Sunday is a little bit different, right? I want to read you what happens on Sunday. So this is in John chapter 20. We're going to throw it up on the screens. This is what it says. Early the first day of the week, which is Sunday, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, which is a different Mary than Jesus' mother, Mary, okay, so this is another Mary, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, this, this by the way, is how John refers to himself. So John, the one writing this, I, this makes me smile every time I read it. John, the one writing this, he refers to himself, he doesn't call himself John, he calls himself the, one, the disciple that Jesus loved. I <laughs> like that. Anyway, so she runs to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and she said, they've taken my Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. We just saw this in the video. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So when, when I read this, like when I read the Bible, I like to like try to put myself into the story, you know, like into what's happening. Like what, if I was there, what would I be feeling? You know, what would I be experiencing? And so think about Mary. Like what do you think Mary was feeling as all this was going on? Well, well Mary's upset, right? I mean, she loved Jesus. She just lost her best friend, one of her best friends for sure. She loved Jesus. Jesus literally saved her life. I don't know how much you know about this story, but Mary was somebody who had not one, not two, but seven demons possessing her. That's what the Bible tells us. I don't know what that looks like, but she was possessed by seven demons, literally like out of her mind, and Jesus heals her. Like Jesus gives her new life. And so even though he's dead now, she's hurt, he's dead now, she wanted his body to be respected, right? And so she gets to the tomb, he's not there. And she's like out of her mind, upset. How about Peter? What do you think, what do you think Peter was feeling? Like some of you guys know the story with Peter. So this is on Sunday, right? Just a couple days earlier, two and a half days earlier, Peter betrayed Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Denied that he even knew the guy. So they come to arrest Jesus, they take him, and in his time of greatest need to actually have friends around him, Peter goes, I don't know him. I have no idea who he is. I have no idea who he is. And then what happens? They kill him. It's time of greatest need. Peter abandons him. Like imagine the guilt that Peter was feeling. And then he gets to the tomb and now Jesus is gone. Somebody stole his body. Like imagine what's going on inside of him. How about John? John's a little bit different. We know a little bit more about what John was thinking because he's the one who's writing this, right? And so it says that he saw and believed. John saw and believed, which I read that, it begs a question for me, like believed what? You know, what exactly did he believe at this point? 
Well, it seemed like John had a little bit better understanding of some of the things that Jesus said before he died than maybe some of the other guys. So maybe John's remembering that Jesus said, I'm going to die, but I'm going to be coming back. I'm going to come back to life, right? Like that must have clicked in John's heart a little bit differently than the other guys. So imagine like what these guys are wrestling with. And so this roller coaster that had started out, Jesus' influence is growing. It hits its peak just a few days earlier, five days earlier, seven days earlier at this point. And then all of a sudden, shoo, shoots straight down. You think it's over, but maybe, just maybe, it's not over. Let's go on. Look at, look at verse 11. So, so the disciples went back to where they were staying. Mary stays there. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Well, they've taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, Jesus asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him. I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him. She cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Don't hold on to me, for I've, yet, I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what Mary was experiencing there? It's interesting to me that at first, Mary didn't recognize Jesus, right? Apparently she didn't, it's hard to kind of tell, but apparently she didn't recognize the angels as being angels either, Right? But she doesn't recognize who Jesus is as Jesus starts talking to her. And it's uncertain why. You know, maybe, maybe there's a shadow on Jesus' face and she like, couldn't see his face. Maybe his head was covered or he had a hood on. Certainly he would have looked different than the last time she saw him. Right, Beaten, swollen, bloody. Or maybe he just looked different. You know, there are other times after Jesus resurrected, after Jesus came back to life, where he showed himself to people and they didn't recognize him right away. So it's tough to know exactly why she didn't recognize him, but she's distraught for sure. And she's talking to Jesus and doesn't even know it. She misses her friend. She misses her leader. You even get this sense of frustration that she's feeling. She says, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you put him. I'll go get him, right? Like frustration mixed in with it all. And I think about that, and I think, you know, sometimes I can feel that way as well, you know? So hurt, so sorrowful, so confused, even hopeless, looking for answers, and you feel like they're so far away, and then later you come to find out that the answer was like right under your nose the whole time. I've experienced that before. It's interesting. The answer, think about this, the answer to everything that was troubling Mary was literally right there in front of her. And for whatever reason, she couldn't see it, right? She, she didn't understand until, until he speaks her name, until Jesus says, Mary, 
And as those words come out of his mouth, all of a sudden her eyes are open and she realizes who she's talking to. And all of a sudden, as she's heard her name spoken by Jesus, her hurt, her sorrow, her confusion, her hopelessness, her searching for answers is over. Why? Because her friend wasn't dead anymore. He was dead, but now he's alive. And so now Mary feels alive. And, and it's telling to me how, how when she first recognizes, when he first whispers Mary to her, and she first recognizes that it's Jesus, immediately, apparently, it's a little vague from the text, but apparently immediately she goes to him and embraces him, like puts a big bear hug on top of him, holds him tight because she loves him because he's her friend. He's her leader. He's the one who saved her. And then Jesus says, this is interesting, he says, do not hold on to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. And it's kind of hard when you read that to understand, like, wait a minute, what is going on here? Did, is she holding on to him, or is he saying, no, 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 don't do that. You're not allowed to touch me yet. It's interesting because other times, one of those, some of those other 10 times that Jesus showed himself to people as he's risen, he actually told people to touch him, right? He said it to Thomas, put your fingers in, my, in the holes, right? So when you, when you understand what it, what it says there, like when you go into the original language, that do not hold on to me, that do not, it actually has a meaning, a normal meaning means to stop something that's already happening, to stop something that's already in process. So, so imagine the scene. Mary is like so overwhelmed with joy when she hears her name spoken by Jesus and she recognizes him that she goes over and she grabs a hold of him like she is never going to let go. I got you, I got my friend and my leader, the one who saved me back from the dead. I'm holding on, I'm never letting go. And then Jesus says, you gotta let go, Mary. You can't, you can't keep holding on to me. I'm back, but it's not over. I'm back, but it's not gonna be like it used to be. I imagine him saying, let go, Mary, of what you used to know about me because I'm not just Jesus, your friend, your leader, the son of Mary and Joseph. I'm the risen Christ. I'm the God of the universe. I'm God the Son, and I'm going back to be with God the Father soon. And, and apparently Mary gets it, right? He says, now go tell others. Go tell my disciples what you've seen. And so it doesn't say this in the text, but I imagine her like running, like booking to find the disciples to say, listen, he is alive. Jesus is alive. Guys, I think, I think about Easter, and I think, man, there's so much that we could talk about at Easter, you know, the, the cross and the resurrection, all these things that Jesus did, who he is. But I love this passage, because in this one little passage, you get a chance to see both Jesus' glory and his power and his majesty and his awe, but then you also get to see his personal care and concern for one person, for Mary. He speaks, he knows her name, and he speaks her name. And so I think about this passage, and, and there's like three things that jump out to me immediately, and I want to sh quickly share them with you. 
three things that I think just jump out to me in my life coming from this passage. First, I think of how when Mary finally realizes that it's Jesus she's talking to, she goes and she grabs hold of him. She doesn't want to let go. And I actually love that. I love that she felt Jesus made her feel so free to express her emotions how she was, right? Like she didn't have to be proper and perfect, she went, I imagine her, apparently from the text, she goes and she just grabs hold of him and she expresses her love for him. And I love that. But Jesus' response is really telling to me. He says, don't just keep holding on to me, Mary. Don't, don't just keep holding on to what I once was because I have more work to do. Your, your view of me needs to grow. I'm not just Jesus. I'm not just your friend. I'm your friend. I'm not just your leader, I'm your leader. I'm not just the son of Mary and Joseph. I'm the risen Christ, I'm God the son. Like her, Mary's understanding of Jesus needed to be transformed, right? She needed to have a fuller understanding of Jesus. And I think similarly, some of us have an understanding of Jesus that maybe also needs to be transformed. You know, we all walk in here at different points on our spiritual journey. I don't know where your heart is. I don't know where your relationship with God is. But some of us, I would expect, have an understanding of Jesus that maybe needs to transform a little bit. Similarly, maybe we need to let go a little bit of what we know about Jesus or what we believe about Jesus and really understand who he is. It's interesting. I've heard lots of people, people that aren't Christians, don't profess to be Christians, and they talk about Jesus, and they'll say things like, yeah, man, I like Jesus. I've, I've read some of his stuff. Really good teacher. Really wise. I love how he took, how he, he like stuck up for poor people and struggling people, like the people that were being, you know, pushed down. I love that. I love his heart. He's kind of like a friend. You know, he's kind of like a brother. I hear that, and I go, yeah, I agree. You know, Jesus is a great teacher. He's a good person. He was a wise person. In a sense, he's kind of like a brother to us. He's kind of like a friend to us. But he's also the risen Christ. He's the God of the universe. Like if we're to believe what this says, he's not just a good teacher. He's not even just a prophet. He's the savior of the world who went to the cross for you and for me, for your sin and my sin to pay for it. He's the God of the universe. And so like Mary, maybe some of us, maybe we need to have a little bit fuller understanding of who Jesus is. Not just a good guy. He's also God. Second, I think about the first thing that Mary does after, after she recognizes that it's Jesus that she's talking to. What's the first thing that she does? Jesus tells her to do it. Go tell others, right? Go tell the disciples what you've seen. Go tell the disciples that I'm alive, that Jesus is alive. And so, again, I imagine her running and telling them. She, there's an exclamation point at the end of it. She says, I've seen the Lord, exclamation point. She's excited, right? Like she's amazed. Everything in her life has changed now and forever. Her friend and her leader, the one that saved her, who was once dead, has come back to life, and she can't keep it in. She's got to go tell other people. And guys, here's a, here's a second thing that this, this passage makes me think. We also need to share the good news that Jesus is alive. Because he's still alive. 
Like Mary was seeing this, experiencing this firsthand for the first time 2,000 years ago. He's still alive. And just like her life was changed forever because he was alive, so is mine. Like he's changed me. I am different because Jesus is alive, right? I think, man, I, I want to have that same. She inspires me. I want to have that same sort of passion to tell other people the good news that Jesus is alive. Sometimes we can be convinced, I, I think uh, untruthfully, that, man, we live in the United States. Like everybody, everybody knows about Jesus. Like everybody hears about Jesus. Church on every corner, everybody's heard about Jesus. No, they haven't. No, they haven't. Or else what they think about Jesus is, he's a good guy, wise teacher. I like how he cared about others. As there's so many people that they'll know Jesus is alive and that changes everything. So that's the second thing. I'm like motivated to go out and tell people the way that Mary told people. And then third, I think, I think what hits me the most, you know, Mary is like so distraught. She's so like distracted and unaware that she's even talking to Jesus, right? Like she's hurting. She doesn't even know she's talking to him until what happens? He speaks her name, right? He whispers her name, Mary. He calls her by name. And when he calls her by name, all of a sudden, her problems are unimportant. Her sorrow is gone. Her confusion is taken away and her hopelessness is transformed into the greatest hope that she's ever felt in her entire life. It's Jesus. He's back and he knows my name and he loves me. And guys, he knows your name too. And he speaks your name too. Amidst your problems, amidst your sorrows, amidst your confusion, amidst your times of feeling hopeless and pain, he calls to you too. He speaks your name. And just like he was the solution to Mary's problems, he's the solution to our problems too. Now, I'm not gonna say that once we hear Jesus call our name, all of a sudden we have no problems in life. That's not true. But I, I promise you this, they will pale in comparison to his greatness and his glory. These problems that we feel so strongly about right now, all of a sudden will seem like much less of a big deal. And so, so here's my third takeaway. Will you respond when Jesus calls you by name? As I think he whispers to each of us, we gotta slow down our lives and quiet our hearts to hear it but he knows your name. He knows everything about you. All of the good stuff that you want him to know and all the rotten stuff that we like to keep locked up in the little closets of our hearts and not think about them and not let anybody into it. He knows and he still loves you. He chose the cross for you so that you and I could be reconciled back to God. He took the punishment that we deserve so that we could be forgiven. And he whispers your name. And so here's, here's how I want to challenge you this morning. I just want to challenge you to listen to him. We're going to sing two songs here as we close. And the first one in particular is pretty slow. It's kind of a contemplative song. 
I just want to really encourage you to spend time listening to the Lord. And, and if you sit here this morning and you're like, I don't know, I got questions. You know, I got some things I don't understand or, or things that, that are keeping me from believing. Talk to him about it. Just open up before him and then listen to him. And guys, we want to help too. Like if you got questions and you want to talk to a pastor or somebody else, like I would love to help. Talk to me after service. Or on the back of the program, we have our emails, right? Like email me during the week if that's easier. We'll set up a time. We'll go get coffee. I'll buy. We'll talk. Call on the phone. Like we'd love to help any way that we can.